Welcome to the APTA podcast. On January 28th, we recorded a video dialogue on the topic of the COVID-19 vaccine. The guests included Anita Bemis Doherty, Hadia Green Guerrero, Heidi Kozakowski, Kara Gaynor, Jason Favley, and Vincent Conroy. Here's that discussion. Hello. Thank you for joining the discussion today titled PT Practice Updates COVID-19 Vaccine. During this discussion, we will try to answer questions that we've been receiving at APTA from PTs and PTAs about the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine. Please write any questions that you have in the chat. And if we don't have time or we don't get to your question or you think of one after this is finished, you can always email us at practice at APTA.org and go to the APTA website to find information on the coronavirus. My name is Heidi Kozakowski, and I'm a physical therapist and senior practice specialist at the APTA in the practice department. I'm joined by my colleagues in the practice department, Anita Vamis Doherty and Hadia Green Guerrero, and our colleague from Regulatory Affairs, Brian Gainer. We are also joined by two APTA members, Jason Falvey and Vincent Conroy. Please introduce yourselves. Anita. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Anita Bemis Doherty. I'm a physical therapist and I am the vice president of practice. Hi, my name is Hadia Green Guerrero. I am a physical therapist as well in the practice department as a senior practice specialist. Great to be here. Hi. Hi, I'm Kara Gaynor. Uh, I'm an attorney by background, and I'm APTA's Director of Policy and Regulatory Affairs. Hi, I'm Jason Falvey. I'm currently an assistant professor uh, in the Department of Physical Therapy and Rehabilitation Science and Department of Public Health and Epidemiology uh, at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Hi, my name is Vincent Conroy. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, Department of Physical Therapy and Rehabilitation Science, and I'm happy to be here in this discussion today. Thanks. Great, thank you. So we're going to start with um, Anita. She's going to share a couple slides on the vaccines currently available and the CDC distribution guidance. Anita, I think, yeah. Oh. Good afternoon. Um, I'm just going to go over briefly some of the information that we have accumulated here at APTA that uh, relates to the vaccination, so what we know. Next slide. There are two vaccines currently in the, on the market, Pfizer and Moderna. The Pfizer vaccine is for anyone ages 16, of age, 16 years of age and older. It's a two-dose series, and it's separated by 21 days. And if you have the Pfizer vaccine on the first dose, you should get the second dose as Pfizer also. It's administered by intramuscular injection into the deltoid muscle. The Moderna vaccine is for those individuals age 18 years and older, 
It's also a two-dose vaccine separated by 28 days. And again, if you start the series with Moderna, you want to end the series with Moderna. And it is also administered by an intramuscular injection into the deltoid muscle. Next slide. So the CDC provided recommendation to the federal, state, and local governments about who should get the vaccine. And they used um, recommendations with these goals in mind to decrease death and serious disease as much as possible, preserve functioning of society, and reduce the extra burden COVID-19 is having on people already facing disabilities or disparities. Each state has its own plan for deciding who will be vaccinated first and how they can receive the vaccines. So uh, what you need to do if you, if you want to get a vaccine, you contact the local health department for specific information. And generally, there's a phase uh, phasing in of the vaccine distribution. Phase 1A is for healthcare personnel and long-term care facility residents. Phase B, 1B, is frontline essential workers and those people aged 75 years and older and then phase 1C, people aged 65 to 75 years, and people 16 to 65 who may have underlying medical conditions or other essential workers. And there are other phases as well, like a phase two and three, which includes uh, more individuals. So next slide. So whether or not PTs can vaccinate has been an, a question that we have received here at APTA, and it really depends on the state. It requires specific training, and I'm just going to go through Maryland because I know I have my degree and my um, license from Maryland. There was a governor's executive order uh, for healthcare practitioners who are licensed or certified or registered under the health occupations article whose scope of practice doesn't include the administration of vaccines. They can provide vaccines provided that the healthcare practitioner has successfully completed the training on the administration of the vaccine, that there are qualified supervisory personnel at the vaccination site uh, that reasonably can determine that, that you as the healthcare provider are able to administer the COVID-19 vaccine, and it would be under the appropriate supervision, and that the healthcare pr practitioner would administer the COVID vaccine at the vaccination site under reasonable supervision. So those are the um, qualifications that Maryland has. As I say again, it was an ex a governor's executive order and it may be similar in different states. Next slide, I think that's the last. Oh yeah, here's some resources. Um, their CDC resources are listed. Johns Hopkins also has a COVID resource center which provides cases, testing, the vaccine tracker. And then APTA has quite a bit of resources on the coronavirus virus in general as it relates to physical therapy. Uh, and this is updated usually weekly or uh, whenever something new comes out. So I think that's my part, Heidi. I'm going to turn it back over to you. Thank you, Anita. Um, now, Kara Gainer is going to discuss APTA's advocacy efforts um, for PTs to be included in the earliest phase of vaccine distribution and some of the current challenges with uh, distribution and the new administration's plans. Thanks so much, Heidi. 
Now, you know, first I want to note that ABTA doesn't have influence over the distribution of the vaccine, but we did reach out to the CDC prior to them issuing their recommendations for distribution in phase one, and we urged them to include PTs and PTAs in their recommendation for phase one distribution. And as Anita just noted, CDC's recommendation for phase 1A was for healthcare personnel, and PTs and PTAs uh, fell into that category. But as you know, it really hinged on what the state plan was, what the local uh, county or city was planning to do. And so we also knew that advocacy at the state level was needed. So we did provide a template letter to state chapters to use to advocate for recognition of all PTs, PTAs, and students as essential critical healthcare workers, and that they be included in the initial phase of distribution of the vaccine. And I know in the majority of states, if not all states, uh, PTs and PTAs are included in phase 1A, but now the challenge is actually obtaining access to the vaccine. And as I'm sure you've all read or seen in the news, there has been a dwindling supply of the vaccine being distributed to states. Uh, With the new administration, their uh, original goal for distribution was to administer 100 million doses in 100 days. And so the country is averaging about 1 million shots per day. Um, And actually, just recently, the administration has upped their goal, uh, and they are seeking to administer 1.5 million shots per day and give 150 million vaccinations over the next 100 days. And uh, just as recently reported, the administration is working to purchase an additional 200 million doses of the uh, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines that have been authorized for emergency use. Now, the administration has recently announced steps to increase vaccine doses to state and local governments over the next three weeks and provide more clarity to states going forward about how much supply to expect. Uh, The administration has said it will boost supplies from the current 8.6 million doses a week to 10 million doses per week. And they also announced that they would try to be more transparent around the allocation estimates. And so they intend to provide estimates for the upcoming three weeks, as opposed to the one week look ahead that had been in place. Now, because the two approved vaccines require two doses, 150 million shots would provide protection for 75 million Americans, so about 23% of the population. And uh, public health officials, including those within the Biden administration, have said more than 70% of the population will need to be vaccinated to reach herd immunity. Uh, There is hope that the one-dose vaccine uh, being developed by Johnson & Johnson might be available by mid-February. And obviously having a one-dose vaccine will be uh, critical to immunizing some harder-to-reach populations. Now, CVS and Walgreens uh, have been working with the government uh, through a federal pharmacy partnership to administer vaccines in nursing homes. And um, they have indicated that they're on track to meet a self-imposed deadline to give out those uh, first shots. But there has been some critique of the program. And uh, it's an open question whether uh, that program, the Federal Pharmacy Partnership, will be expanded any further. Now, uh, just to give some insight into why has uh, it been difficult to uh, distribute the vaccine and get it administered, uh, the supply of vaccine, as well as supplies like syringes, 
and the ability by states and localities to administer vaccines quickly. Uh, They obviously need to set up more sites and hire more people to administer the shots. Uh, As Anita noted, uh, PTs in Maryland are eligible to administer the vaccine, and we are aware that that is also the case in California, Colorado, and Washington, D.C. All of that said, the new CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, has indicated that she expects supply concerns should ease by late March. So we have been getting a lot of calls related to um, inability to access the vaccine, and that is obviously a concern across the country, but the administration is hopeful that um, those concerns will be eased over the next eight to 12 week, weeks or so. Uh, but with that update, Heidi, I'll turn it back to you. Thank you, Kara. Um, so next, let's talk to Jason. Um, I know that you have recently been trained in administering the COVID-19 vaccine. Can you describe or or share with us um, what that entailed and how and and when you were able to receive that training? Sure, I'm glad to. So as uh, was mentioned earlier, the Maryland executive order where uh, Vinny and I are both licensed um, allows physical therapists to participate in um, giving people vaccinations. And our university distributed that information to all of the faculty at the university and encouraged us to participate in the training to help um, distribute the vaccine. So we'd be good front facing personnel um, and represent the the university community as well as um, support the citizens of Baltimore. So the training that we had to go through was uh, computer modules to learn the basic safety of Uh, administering vaccines and cover uh, the different uh, vaccinations that are available, the Pfizer and Moderna, ensuring that we document these things correctly and making sure that we get people um, the correct second dose uh, that matches. Um, As uh, Anita mentioned, we don't want people crisscrossing from Pfizer to Moderna. So a lot of the initial training was really focused on on patient safety. And then there was an in-person training across the street at the, the hospital where we had to participate in a simulation lab um, and practice giving the shot on uh, dummies in the lab and be checked off by a skilled nurse uh, who is, uh, does these skill checks at the hospital on a regular basis. Um, so making sure that you're finding the correct landmarks and making sure that you're injecting safely and protecting yourself uh, using needle protectors and uh, not accidentally causing any additional injuries. So they gave you plenty of opportunities to practice those skills. And then once you were competent, they checked you off and allowed you to be scheduled to help uh, give the vaccination in a large clinic uh, with supervision from other medical personnel. Thank you, Jason. Um, And now Vincent, you have actually, you received the same training, but you have actually administered uh, the vaccine um, today, I hear. Can you share with us um, what that was like? And again, kind of some of the training entailed for that? Sure, the uh, training was well described by uh, Jason. Uh, Thank you for doing that. Um, And uh, it was pretty adequate to the point where I felt comfortable uh, moving on to the next step. And then once we actually moved into the position to get scheduled uh, as a vaccinator, uh, there's ample supervision for folks to ensure that you're doing the documentation correctly as well as administering, and folks were right there in case you had any questions. Um, so if you have any other questions, be happy to answer them. 
Great. So, um, and I don't know if anyone wants to speak on this, but it's important to remember that just because you, uh, your patient, your family or friends have received the vaccination, um, you should still maintain infection control um, precautions, such as wearing a mask, uh, social distancing, washing your hands frequently. And that's because the vaccines have around a 95% efficacy rate. And whether or not the vaccine prevents transmission of COVID-19 was not specifically studied in the clinical trials. Um, we know it protects a person receiving it, but we don't know if it prevents that person from acting as a carrier. So that's just um, something that I wanted to, to mention to everyone. Um, so thank you very much, Vincent. Now, Hadia is going to discuss the implications of the COVID-19 vaccine administration on scope of practice in primary care. Thank you, Heidi, and thank you, Vinny and Jason, for sharing um, this emerging skill in our profession and recognition. And so, as you know, there are the three scopes of practice being your professional scope of practice, which is usually living up to the um, top of one's license, your jurisdictional scope of practice, which is more along the lines of what your state practice act will allow you to do by law. And then there's the personal scope of practice, right? That's what you are trained to do. So as we've heard today, these two have been trained and they're anti up on the personal scope of practice now having been trained to administer vaccinations or to administer an actual shot into someone's musculoskeletal um, form. And I really um, am pleased to learn that Maryland and hopefully some other states will have expanded this access to this skill set because what we know as far as physical therapists and our training is our profound and extensive training in the neuromusculoskeletal systems and really across all systems. But our strength is so strong there that there is... Um, an opportunity for us to exist and to continue to practice to the top of our license in other settings, which we are as, a, as an association are pushing for such as primary care. And really vaccinations fall in that area of the spectrum of care of prevention and health promotion. And that is an existing area of practice for physical therapists, but really more of an emerging area. We sometimes refer to it as, as far as being taught throughout all schools settings uh, for physical therapy and being widely accepted across the spectrum. So this instant in which these physical therapists are taking the opportunity and honor to be part of this aspect of the frontline work in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic really helps to reinforce the breadth of our scope of practice and really the breadth of our knowledge as doctors of physical therapy. And um, so thank you for the work that you're doing. What I will say is that again, this is a state by state determination as to whether or not this skilled intervention is allowable by physical therapists. And as Anita noted before, it's important that we touch base with our local health departments as well as 
counterfaced with the Practice Act. Of course, in this case, what we're seeing is an act of an emergent situation where our Practice Act does not generally allow for us to give vaccinations. However, in this state of emergency and given our knowledge base and the governor's, in this case, executive order has allowed for this to happen. So I really think, um, you know, this is an opportunity that we really want to hone in on, hopefully collect some data. I think billing will also be another aspect, much like what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic when we did a hard shift into virtual, into the virtual space of care. And it wasn't that physical therapists hadn't done teleworking before, but the pandemic actually created a platform in which we were able to be reimbursed more universally than had ever been realized before. So again, an area of our scope that already exists in our professional scope of practice, there were people that had to ante up, as I noted before, on their personal scope and learning how to really navigate these tele-service aspects of care and how does that complement what we already do on an in-person basis. So I'm pretty excited to have this talk today and learn more from our physical therapists. Thanks, Kara. Can you talk um, a little bit more about the different roles that physical therapists can play around vaccine administration, if not actually giving the injection? I think uh, the question, I think maybe that was for Jason or Vinny. Yeah, for Vincent. And then, and then afterwards, Kara, you can discuss, um, you know, some of the, the reimbursement issues for it. I will let my colleague, uh, Dr. Conroy, take this question since he was fresh in the clinic today and had a really good handle on the number of roles that PTs can take. Okay, yeah. Heidi, thanks for the question. So beyond the, the role of vaccinator, uh, PTs can also uh, be involved with the intake and registration process. Uh, they can also be assigned as greeters. Uh, and then, uh, believe it or not, we actually have uh, some PTs that are actually in direct um, supervisory roles uh, directing the procedures and making sure um, all elements are being followed through with. Um, so that's if you're not in the position to go ahead and uh, feel comfortable about um, putting a needle into somebody's arm, uh, you have other options to go ahead and assist with the process. And uh, that was explained to us um, in the same uh, letter that was outlined by our president within the university and with the leadership within our department. Great. Now, if um, Kara, if you can talk about the the you know reimbursement side, or if we have any information on that. Yeah, uh, the CDC has posted on their website that for those uh, vaccine doses that have been purchased with uh, taxpayer dollars, those will be provided at no cost. Um, you know. Uh, I think that for any doses that aren't um, purchased by taxpayer dollars, you know, I think uh, insurers are waiving the the copays. I'm not sure on the reimbursement side. I don't know, Vinny. Uh, were you re- are you being reimbursed for administering the vaccine? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, due to my position at the university, um, I was a aligned as a volunteer. 
And so this is volunteer time uh, that I'm offering up and the department is supporting that effort. Um, well, great, thank you for that information. So now I just would like to discuss a little bit about the role of PTs as kind of advocates for vaccines, for getting them, for your patients getting them, um, and, and just different vaccine, I'm sorry, communication strategies and campa campaigns that are currently going on. For example, the CDC has created a COVID-19 vaccine communication toolkit for essential workers that includes posters and flyers encouraging vaccination and social media messages on why it is important to get vaccinated as an essential worker um, and just on the safety of the vaccines. And I know that um, I'm licensed in DC and they um, sent out a message to all licensed healthcare workers to record video messages of themselves getting the vaccine, you know, not, not actually of them getting it, but saying why they're going to get it to support their community, support their family. And so I was just wondering if maybe Jason, um, if you've heard um, of any communication strategies going on in Maryland or other places um, in social media? Yeah, thanks, Heidi. Um, you know, in terms of formal uh, communications or formal uh, methods to, to disseminate this on social media. I, I'm not aware of anything specific to Maryland, though, you know, I'm pretty active on, on Twitter, um, also run Twitter for PTJ. And you know, between both of those uh, roles, I'm noticing a lot of healthcare providers really taking it upon themselves uh, to post publicly uh, getting their vaccinations and, and document the, the process and the side effects that they're experiencing. And, you know, the fact that it was totally worth the side effects to get vaccinated and, and really being transparent about that. And I think that really does help build trust in some communities. Um, you know, physical therapists tend to spend more time with patients than a lot of other healthcare providers. So I think it's a really good front facing way to, to kind of share our experience with the public. Um, and that might be critically important for some of these hard to reach populations where PTs may have outsized influence uh, like rural areas. Um, I was fortunate enough to get the Pfizer vaccination, uh, two doses due to my role in the, the Veterans Administration uh, treating older adults. And I documented both of those shots publicly on both social media platforms as a way to, you know, kind of publicly represent uh, the public health process as well as um, share that information with members of my rural Maine community where I grew up that may be more hesitant and, and you know, make sure they feel comfortable seeing somebody that they know and trust uh, getting the vaccination and, and not having any ill effects. Great, thank you. So now we're just going to um, try and address some questions from the chat. Again, you can write them in the chat or you can email us at practice at APTA.org if you have any other questions. So the first question um, for Vincent, if you could um, talk about what the documentation requirements are. Uh, yeah, uh, the documentation requirement uh, uh, required us to be involved with the electronic uh, medical record that's utilized by the hospital. And it was basically in the role as a vaccinator. And so uh, you would be directed on the appropriate processes just to ensure that you um, we're documenting what you administered to the right person uh, and to make sure that the dates were aligned with the appropriate dose and lot number and so forth. 
I hope that answered the question. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm sure that we will be getting questions like that the more, um, you know, if more states start allowing PTs to, to administer the vaccine. So there was another question on here. Um, will extra time be allowed for license renewals um, due to COVID and hours cut and temporary out of work? Um, so I don't, Kara, can you answer that one? Uh, and we, we put an answer in the chat that essentially this is going to be a state licensing board decision. Um, I haven't necessarily heard of state boards that have extended these um, requirements or given extra time, but um, definitely, you know, check with the state licensing board and check with your state chapter. And um, also always feel free to reach out to us at advocacy at APTA.org and we can connect you with our state affairs team who might have some more insight into that. Great, we had another question um, about any efficacy data for different ethnic groups, i.e. for Asian populations. Um, so I maybe that's talking about the clinical trials so far. Does anybody have any information on that if they've broken the data down? numbers I don't I don't have specific numbers on that but I do know that they are um, recruiting and I have uh, personal friends who are physicians who have entered themselves into the studies and even their children in one case um, and advocated for it even going on CNN so I think there's still an effort to increase the numbers um, there is a there's a lot of discussion on public platforms as to the challenges or or of how do you bridge both communication trust um, and not to have people feel like they're quote unquote guinea pigs and um, that discussion is very live and actually a daily conversation. I know Harvard University hosts conversations as well as local social media um, platforms. So I think it's still an area that we um, acknowledge that there still needs to be a lot more growth. Yeah, as Hadia was talking, I actually uh, looked up to see if I could find anything. And it, uh, you know, it does, there is data online that breaks down uh, the racial ethnicity for each group who of individuals who were included in the Pfizer and Moderna uh, trials. And uh, the data clearly shows that, um, you know, white was uh, represented um, and much to the, you know, there were disparities among all the different populations with the largest disparity among the black population. Uh, for example, the Pfizer trial um, globally included about 40,000 people of that 81% were white, nine, uh, 10% were black, 4.4% Asian, 0.6% American Indian or Alaska Native, and then 0.2% Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander. And then uh, Moderna was very similar. So uh, clearly, as Hadia said, a lot more work needs to be done. And that sounds like it's just giving um, information on who received the vaccine, but not anything on efficacy rates among those groups? Did they break it up like that? Just uh, who participated in the trial, because obviously that that needs to be addressed um, first, and then they can examine the data. 
Right. So it's, it was, there's still a couple more steps before we get that information. Um, I just see one other question here about um, which vaccine is more effective. Um, and I believe the Pfizer one was 95% and Moderna was 94.5. Can you guys correct me if I'm mistaken? That's the current data that I'm aware of that's out and uh, presented. Yeah, and, and I just wanted, because um, we've had this, this discussion before. So when they're saying 95%, it doesn't mean that if you get the vaccine that it's only going to work 95% of your body or it's going to, it means that of the people who received the vaccine, um, 95% of them did not go on to test positive for COVID-19. That's what that number means. It doesn't mean that you don't have, if you, um, you know, are vaccinated, it's not fully vaccinated. So I just wanted to, to make that clear um, in case that qu anybody else had that question or your patients had that question. Um, so that looks like that's it for questions right now. Um, I want to thank uh, all of our panelists and, and my colleagues for joining us today. Thank you all for listening in, writing in your questions. And I just wanted to give um, everyone an opportunity to give some final comments or some words um, of wisdom. So we'll start with Jason. Yeah, uh, thanks for inviting uh, me on here. I think it's a great opportunity to really uh, be visible as physical therapists and as uh, primary care providers. We really have a responsibility to take a, a leading role in, in distributing the vaccine and, and helping um, get our patients to have all of the information they need uh, to make an informed choice of whether they want to receive the vaccine for themselves. And part of that is uh, being good public health role models ourselves. So I'm glad that, in, in, at least in Maryland, we have the opportunity to both uh, get the shots and also participate in vaccinating um, our Baltimore colleagues. Thank you. Vincent? Yeah, thank you uh, again for the invitation to come and chat with you. Um, I know that uh, giving an injection into somebody is going to be a very individual choice. Uh, and certainly I can attest to the fact that the training made me comfortable enough uh, to go ahead and continue and proceed uh, based upon the number of uh, amount of support uh, that I received, uh, even once I got into uh, doing the live uh, vaccination situation. Um, there are other roles, as we described. And um, as Heidi stated earlier, just because you get the vaccine or give it to someone, uh, we still have to be diligent with regard to or vigilant with our ability to keep the social or physical distancing, uh, wear the masks and wash the hands as much as possible. Um, thanks again for allowing me to come on and, and chat with you today. Thank you. Kara? Uh, yes, as uh, Jason and Vinny said, uh, thank you for having me on. I think the only thing I want to say is, obviously, there's a lot happening every single day. There's more and more information coming out about what the administration is doing at the federal level, what the states are doing, what cities and counties are doing. You know, some states have um, implemented COVID-19 vaccine dashboards and other tools that are really user-friendly, and other states haven't. So, you know, there's a lot of variability at the state level, but I know there's a lot of change happening literally every day. So, you know, continue to check your state chapter's website, check our website, check our news. We do uh, weekly news blasts on Wednesday and Friday where we include information related to COVID-19. And, um, you know, hopefully 
uh, we will get through this together um, in the very near future. Thank you. Thank you. I just really want to encourage our, first and foremost, say thank you to ABCA for giving our doctors of physical therapy this platform to um, share their experiences and where we're at in this process. I think it's really important from a mental um, standpoint, as we know, this pandemic has um, implemented an immense um, load of mental strain and hope and all types of emotions that go with that. And I think it's uh, important that one, our members and members of the profession know that we at ABTA are here to support you, but that you also utilize your cohorts of other clinicians, and they don't necessarily have to be other physical therapists, that you can actually have conversations with beyond your family if there's, it's a unique experience through what you go through when you're going through a pandemic period, let alone as a clinician or provider. Um, and so I think it's important for our mental health as well that we remember to, I would like to encourage everyone to remember to take care of themselves, to be able to find your safe, safe group that you can talk about with people, whether you're scared or you're over, overburdened or hopeful or all over of the place. So um, I'm excited that we are showing our, continuing to show, share our worth and our place in the space of healthcare, particularly on the spectrum, um, the end of the spectrum on the prevention and health promotion and wellness. And so thank you again to our speakers. Thank you, Anita. Thank you. And I echo what everybody else said. Um, and like Hadia said, APTA is here for you. If you have any questions at all, you can come to us with any question that you have. Those questions, if you want to send them to practice at APTA.org, we'll happily respond to those questions. So thank you all for attending. And I really appreciate you being here. And thank you, Vin Vincent and uh, Jason, for being uh like the trailblazers for, for our profession. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Stay safe. APTA podcasts like this one are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.